Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. Good morning, everybody joining us. I'm just going to give people another minute or so to jump on before we begin. All right. Let's just settle in. We're going to start with a half an hour uh, meditation time. So just settling into a nice posture. And maybe starting off with a bit of gratitude this morning. And we are so lucky to be sitting with one another. To have this profound opportunity to practice Dharma together. Just allowing this heart-mind to move towards thankfulness. And maybe getting a felt sense of what this feels like. And turning next towards your motivation for your practice, your intention. Why am I here? Why am I practicing? What does this mean to me?
And if you haven't already, allowing this, allowing this intention to encapsulate all beings, that somehow your personal intention can have a profound effect on all of us, being that we're interconnected, all breathing the same air, all awakening together in a sense. And as you move into stillness, maybe checking within the body, starting here, and seeing if you can find some peacefulness, some calm, maybe part of the body that's already at ease. just lightly scanning the body. And just looking, investigating. Let's see if you can find peace that's already there. It might be a toe an elbow, a knee, are there parts of the body that are already at rest? simply allowing the mind to settle in these places when you find them.
And next, shifting the attention slightly to the feeling tones. Pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral tones can arise. Just simply noticing in the feeling body the part of your being in the feeling realm that's already at ease. Maybe a feeling of being neutral, feeling equanimity. And there might be part of you that has agitation. But then investigating is part of your experience in the feeling realm, at least part of it already at ease, already peaceful. And again, nice and gently allowing the mind to rest here. If you come upon these places that are at ease.
And next, shifting your attention slightly, allowing the world of feeling tones to move into the background. And next, turning your mind towards the mental realm. Most of the time, the mind we see is cluttered, maybe many things arising in the mind. But again, exploring, investigating in the vast expanse of your mind, And you find parts of it that are already at ease. Maybe even very quiet, maybe still. Exploring the mind. And if you find places that are already at ease in the mind, Allowing the mind to rest here.
And next, moving away from the mental mind in particular. And just looking at the totality of your experience, whether it be body, feelings, mental mind, and investigating is peace already here? And just seeing where you might find it. Wherever you find peace arising.
And as we move towards the close of this meditation, beginning to bring your awareness towards the senses, and investigating the sense of sound, the sense of hearing, and see in the same way we're investigating our inner world. Looking around this world of sound and exploring if you can find silence, stillness. Even if your environment is populated with lots of sound, just investigating where you notice the stillness. Is it already present? Alrighty, welcome everybody once again. Yeah, so today we're going to chat about um, uh, transforming the mind, like how do we transform the mind. And, you know, really, you know, we talk about this quite often. In fact, I think it's the very basis of, of the entire practice. We're here to, to transform the mind. That's kind of what we're what we're all about, you know, with this practice. Um, yeah, I wanted to 
to talk about just a few elements because with that said, this really encapsulates the entire path. So just kind of selecting out a few things for us to reflect on uh, today in that aspect of transforming the mind. And um, I know for the past, what, six months now or something like that, <laughs> you know, tackling this um, situation and in, in various ways, whether it be COVID or um, the, so, the social um, situation that we're in, the political environment that we're in. And so just keep looking at this in different ways and how can we bring uh, the Dharma into these um, places and find some refuge there. So, you know, starting with that, this, this con, uh, conceptual realm, you know, I feel like it's, um, it's difficult to transform anything from the conceptual realm. We see how limiting this is. Uh, we see if we're in, in the social media example, you know, we're trying to <laughs> change people's minds maybe on social media, uh, we've, maybe we've all kind of done this. Uh, you, know, you see something and you don't agree with it and you little, do a little chat like, hey, maybe we could look at this in a different way. And, and, um, and it always works, right? You just automatically you know, change people's minds just by saying, hey, I believe something different than that. <laughs> and they say, oh yeah, I really see where you're coming from. And then they just, they change their whole belief system. You know, yeah, of course, it's, it doesn't. It doesn't work. You know, there's there's no power in that. And yet, it, it seems as though this is where we where we we try to transform our own minds too. You know, we're trying to transform our own minds from this place of of concept. Um. You know, I think of the masters of the past. It doesn't matter what century, like 8th century, 11th century, you know, Buddha's time, you know, whatever, if you connect with the teacher of the past, you know. I often wonder what was, what was going on in their world. Sometimes they mention this in, in the text and, and they kind of bounce it. They kind of use that, whatever's happening in, in their environment, maybe sociably, socially. And they use that for the teachings, but they don't, they don't stop there. They're actually giving us an, another piece, another, another uh, place to investigate within ourselves. So we're coming from this new place, and we're interacting with the environment around us from this, from this new place. So I think if in Buddha's time, or again these other masters, if they had these these social events happening, if they just, you know, stuck to these social events, you know, and the, that, that aspect of their environment, maybe if they just stuck to that type of um, relative activism and tried to transform just the world around them, where would we still be getting benefit today if they just, you know, spoke about that, this piece But instead, they met that environment with the Dharma, with something, again, that was, that was beyond it. So to find a, a, really, a, a sense of, of power to draw on for true transformation to take place, we have to remove ourselves from 
this conceptual mind so we could access something different and then bring that something different, that's something that's, that's beyond, beyond concept, bringing that into the conceptual world and using that as transformation. And so really what we're transforming is the environment of our minds. Just like we want to change the outer environment, we're really changing the environment of our mind. This is where the transformation takes place. For example, you know, if we're, if we're in an environment that has really good structure to it, you know, we become that structure. If we're in an environment that is very kind and, and very loving, you know, obviously we can become you know, kind and loving. I was reading something um, from an individual um, from the military, actually listened to like a, a talk, a really inspiring motivational talk from an individual from the military. And he was speaking about structure and that it's a perishable skill, like uh, structure in regards to self-discipline, right? And that in, in the military, he had this really, really strict phase of his life, you know, and it created this really beautiful um, uh, environment for, for discipline. And he tries to carry that with him in, in other parts of his life. So if we create an environment in our own minds that is supportive of the transformation that we want to make, then we're on the right track. Obviously, if we pay attention to the environment of our minds and we got to really look at where in the heck is our mind in, in each moment. Is our mind focused? Is our mind gossiping? Is our mind uh, in the realm of kindness? Is the mind, you know, where is the mind? Where is it actually living? What environment is it living in? And th these environments that we're speaking of, they're not really cultivated. They're, you know, it's not something that we need to create necessarily, like a new, a new mind. It's we need to access it. It's just like we did just now. Like in that meditation, you know, is peace already here? Is it already here? Maybe, maybe it was easy to find in different parts of your experience where the mind was already at ease, where the body was already at ease, where the emotional feeling tones were already at ease. The self-awareness comes from, is that where I'm living? We have options. You know, it's like the hindrances and the seven factors. We have the hindrances, the more negative aspects of mind. It's an option. We also have kindness as an option. I say this because we don't want to go, th go into this realm of transformation like it's, it's a huge effort. Like, oh, I have to transform, you know, I have to reprogram myself necessarily. It's not necessarily reprogramming. It's just choosing where we direct our awareness. And this is very Basic, the basic core element of, of Buddhism is, you know, consciously placing the mind, consciously placing the mind, deliberately placing the mind. Where are we placing the mind? 
Right? We're doing we're making a conscious effort to place the mind where we want it to in in, in each moment. And so this is the transformation, is the, the habitual act of placing the mind in these peaceful places that are existing in the here and now. That's the transformation part. The transformation part is making that the habit. And that can be difficult. I heard a Rinpoche uh, recently say, you know, creating new habits like this is like pushing a tired donkey uphill. <laughs> pushing a, t- a tired donkey uphill. But he was, he was using this as an example because when you push a tired donkey uphill, it's really in short little bursts, you know, and there's rest involved. You know, it's like this little push and then the donkey needs to rest, you know. There's a little push. Donkey, the, the donkey needs to rest. And so it's gradual. It's really important that we recognize this when we move into, trans, we move into that intention of transformation. We know going into it, it's going to take vast uh, amounts of patience because it's gradual. Awareness redirecting the mind into these placeful into these peaceful places and we could see like right now it's um you know the, this environment of the mind just to kind of allow it to to kind of um, kind of mix in, in 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 different ways is that this is where we're living like you could say that we're living wherever you are you're living in a certain city you're living you know, at your at your home. You might be at, in a moment at a in a workplace. We could say we're in California, we're in Long Beach, wherever you are, or on planet Earth. But but where are you actually living? Like all of those things, I don't know. You know what does that mean? What is it, where is the environment that you're actually living? This is what we want to pay attention to. Are we living in anger? Are we living in sadness? Are we living in Worry? Are we living in doubt? Where are we living? And why does the Buddha call the Brahma Viharas, you know, these heavenly abodes? It's interesting that the, the choice of words, when talking about the aspect of the heart, Buddha describes them as an environment to live in, a heavenly abode, a, a dwelling place. Right where we feel safe, protected, at ease. This is where we want to live. So we can live in these places in two major in two major ways. We could live in them through reasoning. So we see this in the practice. There's reasoning and direct experience. These are the two major ways that we take in the Dharma, and they're both important. But one has a shelf life and one doesn't. So reasoning is more the conceptual realm, but it's like good concepts, right? So we're learning the Dharma conceptually, intellectually. We're contemplating it. We're learning, contemplating. 
and we could live there mentally. You know, we could live there like, hey, you know, I'm going to think about these things. I could think about impermanence. I could think about loving kindness. I could think about, you know, emptiness. So I could be free from attachment. So we're transforming the mind, but again, this is very sticky, right? Because it's still caught up in concept. So when we look at Vipassana and insight, we need to go to the next level. We need to move into direct experience. So this transformation happens somewhere else. This is the somewhere else part that we're talking about. This is transcendence, transcending uh, the conceptual aspect of mind. Direct experience. We want to have little tastes of direct experience because that empowers even the conceptual mind. Again, we can't, we do this battle within ourselves of belief. Like, oh, the Dharma sounds good. And then we're hit with life, you know? And, there, and it's like really, really strong suffering. And the Buddha is saying, hey, even in strong suffering, you're free. Well, that sounds nice. But can we actually meet suffering, let's say in meditation, in a small way, and then change our perspective, change our relationship with it, and feel that sense of relief? Let go of the attachment of wanting the suffering to end, and actually feeling a sense of release, like release and relief. Now, if we feel that, we have a direct experience with it. Now, the next time that thought comes along, like, hey, you know, there's an opportunity to, opportunity to be okay even when they're suffering. But now it, now it has the force, it has the strength, it has the confidence, it has the faith of direct experience. And even though that, that direct experience, you know, can, can start to fade, you know, in time, it doesn't go fully away. If we notice, when we have a direct experience, it never goes fully away. It's still there, like, mm, I can't see it right now like I did back then. But it's still there. It's still inspiring for us. So that direct experience, this is what we're looking for in the practice. And it's that direct experience of this other place, of this heavenly abode, of this different environment. I could dwell here. I could dwell here. And it's, it's almost unfortunate when we find that place because the conceptual mind wants to conceptualize our way back. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, it's a happening. You know, when we actually surrender this, it gives rise to that experience, that direct experience. It's not through the, the intellectual mind. But then the intellectual mind says, wow, that was fun. You know, let's go back. <laughs> and it tries to take us back. And it's more through striving and more through effort and more through attachment. And so part of this skillfulness is to, to really pay attention when we get this taste of 
whatever you know, we call this, this freedom from suffering, even in small little bursts, you know, really reflecting, how did this arise? Did it arise through pushing? Did it, did it arise through striving? Or did it arise through more investigation like the meditation we did this morning? Is it already here? It's like we're driving through different neighborhoods in our mind. We could drive, we could just pay attention. Is it already here? Is it already here right now? Is it already here? Maybe it's through investigation. Maybe it's through simple non-attachment, simple non-grasping. Simple non-grasping of where the mind usually wants to take us into the energy of whatever thoughts are rising in that moment, into that energy of whatever emotions are rising in that moment, into the energy of whatever body sensation is arising in that moment. This is where the mind is pulling us. But again, the very core act of consciously and deliberately placing the mind where we want it to go. So I was thinking of a few hindrances to this because I think, you know, we... We know this, you know, we, we know this, um, again, conceptually. So I wanted to go through a few, a few things that stop us um, and, and uh, an antidote. And um, Don, you can go ahead and post. I'm going to talk about the three kinds of laziness. Um, there's many kinds of laziness, but here's a few. <laughs> I find in myself all sorts of kinds of laziness. I could write a book on it. Um, but let's break it down to just a few. And again, these are just to recognize. And so we can know that they're present. And, and just like a hindrance, you know, just pay attention to it and, and note it. And then we could, we could apply an antidote. Um, you know, the, the, the first, first one I want to go over is really the hindrance of doubt. And we could say this is underestimating yourself. So Don just put it up in um, the chat box, underestimating yourself. This is huge. You know, if, if we underestimate ourselves, then we're never even going to get started to transforming the mind. If we don't believe that we could do it, you know, we're not even going to start. So there, there's a lot of this, and, and we see it in a, in a micro way during our meditation. If our mind's too crazy, I see this all the time, you know, working with people and, and working with them one-on-ones with getting their meditation practice in order. And, and I see it within myself a lot that, oh, my mind's too crazy. I'm not going to meditate today. Or we begin a meditation and oh, my mind's too crazy, I'm going to just get up and try again tomorrow, I'll try again tonight, or something like that, right? So this is just on a very, you know, moment-to-moment basis, but 
and, and overall too, you know, if we think we're too bombarded, like whenever we get that, that sense of, um, uh, even if I try really hard, I'm never going to be, I'm not going to be able to overcome you know, whatever my issues are, then we don't even begin. We don't even give our chance. We don't even give ourselves the chance, right? Because we underestimate ourselves. We forget that we're Buddhas. We forget that every single master that we've ever heard of is just like us. You know, they just, they're just like us and they, they were able to do it, right? They were able to, to find those heavenly abodes within themselves, even when it didn't look so um, promising at first, right? So I think the, the, the second one, the procrastination, um, it's part of the first one. You know, it's because of this, we don't have real faith um, in ourselves. And it's also a mix of this just plain habit, huge, you know. And it takes this pushing the donkey up a hill, this tired donkey up a hill. You know, procrastination, at least like in the Dharma text, I, you know, I think everyone has a remedy for procrastination. I, I think that we all do it. I know I do it a ton. Um, and you know, what helps me is, and again, just like the donkey story, is just a little bit at a time. You know, recognizing that whatever I procrastinate on, it's definitely in certain areas of my life that I don't like. Like, I'm not a detail person, for example. I know this. I'm self-aware of it. I like bigger, bigger parts of projects. I like beginning of projects. Those, those little things, those little little tasks and whatnot I'm not good at. So I have to put a lot of energy into that and also self-aware to surround myself with people on projects that are good at that as well. But then to take, take the time and the energy to, to really focus on that and actually give myself confidence that, hey, you know, I did this little task that I have an aversion to. Um, you know, maybe I could do the next one on my list. It seems really unimportant, but it's necessary. Those are the ones that I have problems with. You know, I have to, I have to take care of that, right? So it, these are just little, you know, fine-tuning these little things, transforming the mind one act at a time, right? Using a lot of self-awareness, and, and obviously these things are going to take more effort, effort to remember, right? Effort to remember. And then... You know, in, in our culture, the last one I want to go over is just this busyness. And I know it's funny to, to say busyness in, um, as a form of, of laziness, but it really is. The Tibetans love to talk about this part, that they talk about Tibetan laziness and Western, lazy, and Western la- laziness. And Tibetan laziness is usually what we call lazy. Is They're just physically not wanting to do stuff, you know, just like, chilling out all the time and not being very productive. You know, they laugh because part of the Nunjo practices in Tibet and the preliminary practices, they put a number on it. They say you have to do 100,000 prostrations and you have to do 100,000 mandala offerings and 100,000 guru yogas, right? And they put that number on it, they said, because the Tibetans were lazy. And they said, you know, you have to do 100,000 of these and they said, but in the West, we actually want to take that number off <laughs> because you guys are like 
you know, too, you know, too d disciplined in that area and you just start to crank out numbers instead of quality of, of actual practice, right? So we could use busyness as a way to not actually get done what we, what we need to get done. It's almost a form of procrastination, right? So we're, go, we're, to, we're, we're very busy, but in the total wrong direction, yeah? And so we're not, we're not um, cultivating that, that uh, quality of mind that we're looking for, because we're just you know, going super fast, but in the wrong direction. And we're really good at this, yeah. So underestimating yourself, uh, procrastination, busyness in the wrong direction. So noticing, oh, I'm really busy, 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 but am I getting anywhere where it matters? Am I getting anywhere where it really matters, right? Within my mind, trans that mind transformation. So I want to give ourselves time to discuss this. So I am going to quickly go through kind of the opposite, um, or let's say the antidote uh, to, to laziness. And then um, we'll get a chance to go into breakout rooms. So more in Dharma terms, they, they usually use enthusiasm as, as, a, as a term, to, as an antidote for laziness. The antidote for laziness is enthusiasm. Enthusiasm is something that's cultivated gradually. If you have enthusiasm for a subject, um, it probably, you, that enthusiasm probably grew over time to where it turned into a passion. But a lot of times people's passions take a while to get going, right? It, take, it takes a while to nurture something, to kind of really get into it, to really cultivate it and whatnot. And then, then it becomes a passion. And you start to have a lot of enthusiasm for it, right? So with the Dharma, there's, I just wrote down a few steps just really off the top of my top of mind here. And, and these are very, very basic, you know, but these are the things in Dharma that lead to enthusiasm. And again, it's just the enthusiasm to choose something different, to place the mind deliberately in another place. Yeah. In Dharma, the first step is that we need to want to be free. It was huge. We have to want to be free. We suffer consciously all the time. We suffer in gossip. We suffer in confusion. You know, we're, we're so confused all the time. Um, and we want truth, but actually we quite enjoy the confusion. Um, and one way we do this is that we plant, we look, we're in the future so much, we're in the past so much. And these are very confusing places to be because they're not real. Every time we have a future thought, it's a complete unknown. We're not quite sure if that's going to happen. But for some reason, just hanging out in the truth, which is just this moment, can feel boring when we're used to making stuff up, right? So we love the, the imagination and making stuff up, but actually the truth is so simple, it's like boring. And until, until it's magnificent when we really start to investigate it. But in, in the meantime, it's like, why don't we just sit with what's real, breathing in and breathing out? I'm right here. This is so clear all of a sudden. 
And there's such a beautiful freedom in that clarity of this, of this moment. And we want to be free from distraction and from attachment and whatnot. But again, we have, that, that yearning has to be, well, I actually need this so bad. Like I would want to take away the pain of others. I need to take away uh, my own suffering. I need to really entrench myself and really want to be free. So we have to cultivate that, cultivate that enthusiasm. And to do that, we have to realize that we're suffering. You know, of course, this is dukkha, you know. This is just, just that realization of what suffering looked like. <clears throat> and again, what neighborhood am I in, in the mind? Where am I? Where am I living? We have to wake up to this. And then we have to have, we have to learn a way of transformation. And luckily we have this, we have non-attachment, right? Non-grasping mind, uh, being in the moment, accessing loving kindness and compassion. We have access to the teachings that show us, hey, we could be living in these different neighborhoods of the mind. We get to be experiencing, have these direct, these direct uh, experiences with the true nature of, of mind. We have this opportunity. And this goes back to you know, the, the direct antidote, uh, believing in it enough to try it, um, believing in yourself enough to try it. This is the fourth one. Believing in the Dharma enough, you know, either you read enough or, or whatnot, to believe, hey, this is something that, that works. I believe in it. It's been do, you know, working for, for so long. And then I believe in myself enough to do it. So this is the opposite of you know, underestimating ourselves, right? And then the most important piece is to move beyond motivation. You know, enthusiasm, you know, in, enthusiasm is, is something that can come and go. <clears throat> like just, just, you know, motivation comes and goes. But through that direct experience, that number four, you know, believing enough to try it, and then we do it. And everybody knows is that once you do something and you see the positive effect, this is when it really takes hold, right? This is when you have real enthusiasm. You're like, oh, wow, yeah, that really worked. I, I could look back and say, oh, that really worked. Now... Now the next time you come upon uh, a choice that you have to make, oh, you know, this, this somebody is, is getting very angry at me or says something that we don't quite like. Then we have that choice. Oh, I can move into anger. I can move into compassion, right? I moved into compassion and... It really nullified a lot of suffering for me. I really felt that you know, in a very real way. So, yeah, so just to kind of recap before we go into, into breakout rooms, um, getting unstuck from concept, we have to come into a place of, of power beyond the conceptual mind. And we have to there and to do this, we really need to transform the environment. Progress is gradual. We have to move beyond reason and into direct experience. 
we have to recognize when we're in a lazy in laziness where we don't maybe we're just comfortable you know that's another aspect just feeling comfortable right this is we're not going to transform in the comfortable 100 <laughs> percent. you got to be uncomfortable if you don't feel uncomfortable uh you're you're nowhere close to 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 transforming anything if we if we get stuck in in the comfortable there's no transformation right it's it's uh yeah, just by definition, to transform something, it needs to it needs to have some kind of kind of kind of almost conflict, you know. Even in that moment, that conflict between, hey, I used to go here, and now I'm going to go here. That resistance, that's uncomfortable. You know, we have to be become accustomed to that that un- being uncomfortable. If we're accustomed to being uncomfortable and meeting meeting that, then we're at a starting point. And this is, again, meditation automatically teaches us this because what comes up in meditation? Things that are uncomfortable, right? And, and we're sitting with them and we're being with them in a new way, right? This happens all the time. This is why, you know, to transform the mind, meditation is so powerful because, uh, you know, it's like, a, uh, it's like it's just a crash course in suffering, <laughs> you know? It's like you, you suffer physically, you suffer emotionally, you know, you, you can't move and you have anxieties or whatnot. And then mentally your mind's a mess and all this, you know, you have all this suffering. And then you have this, these amazing tools to be with that suffering in a new way. And so in 10 minutes, you could, you could notice such, such an incredible transformation on how you're with the suffering. Again, the suffering's not going to go away, but how you're with it is transformed, how your mind's meeting it is transformed. You're living in a new place, right? You're not living in the suffering. You've expanded out. Now you're holding the suffering in a new way. And then we build enthusiasm, you know, through that direct experience, through that intention of trying to be, wanting to be free, using the tools of transformation that we know, and really believing in ourselves that we could do it. All right, so I'm going to break us out into breakout rooms. And so we'll discuss these in the small groups and um, just see what came up for you. Um, you could use um, those, those two lists as a talking point if you'd like. And kind of just seeing, you know, in, in this process of transformation, where do you find the sticky points, you know, for you? Um, like I mentioned, one of my sticky points um, with is is laziness. I see it. I see it in myself, and I see it in these very specific ways um, that I need to pay attention to. So, just seeing how this process works for you in your own experience, and then we'll come back and we'll come back in a few to talk about it. All right. Welcome back, big room. Yeah, so we have a few minutes left. So I wanted to see if anyone wanted to share with the larger group what uh, what was coming up for them. Um, yeah, again, always when we're in larger groups, just stay with your own experience, you know. Thanks, Casey. Uh, yeah. Uh, 
the thing that struck me, which I don't, which I think was, I don't think I'd ever quite thought of before, but it really struck me in an interesting way, uh, especially given how profound this moment feels at our particular time, right? Just these easy to be overwhelmed either by a pandemic, the social unrest, election, so much of it, it feels so fraught. And yet, you know, it's not like it was easy 2,000 years ago. <laughs> it's not like, you know, things were piece of cake when uh, the Buddha was sitting in the Indian forest 2,000 yeah. years ago. You know, it just, you know, all the wars through all of Asia, through all of these times, through, you know, yeah, I mean, genocide and all, all these, you know, this, these human problems have been here for literally forever. Mm -hmm. And yeah, what this, what, what the smartest teachers point to is something that is bigger than those times. Uh, that there's, I mean, the promise of this is something bigger than the social, social upheaval of today here. And so that's just, I mean, that's sort of an, <laughs> I don't know, it, it just sort of shifted. It was a big, it was a big sort of shift for me to think, oh shit, this is bigger than even, <laughs> it's bigger even than this, right? It can contain all of this. It can mm -hmm. contain the wars of the past. It can contain, you know, this is not the first pandemic. It's not the last pandemic. It's sort of big enough to, mm. to you know, all of that. So anyway, it just struck me. I don't think I'd ever thought of it before. So thank you for that sort of insight. It's, for know, sure. It motivates me to practice. <laughs> <laughs> good. If it does that, then, it, then it's good. Yeah, wonderful. So uh, I used to have a problem with procrastination. And it, it was always about attachment to pleasure in the moment and putting off something that I thought was painful. Uh, and then it, as time went on, it, it, uh, I noticed that uh, I could just meditate, calm my mind down, and then it wasn't so painful. Then it was just, just do it. And then in one particular instance, I used to hate dictating charts. It actually got to a point where it became something that, that I really enjoyed because it was like a, putting a puzzle together. They'd send me cases of medical records going back years. Uh, I was, uh, anyway. So anyway, you know, it's just interesting how if you can just be mindful. You know, the, the Buddha talked about the seven factors of uh, enlightenment and almost mindfulness is, is always important. Sometimes there's too much energy in the mind. Sometimes there's not enough. Sometimes there's restlessness. And just being able to balance the mind um, so that, you know, you just do what needs to be done. So, you know, I can just look at, at uh, meditation as having been something helpful to get over my bad habit of procrastinating. Wonderful. Thank you. Well, I was with Mark's group. So my thought was, it didn't take 2000 years ago, six months ago, I was anxious and doubting myself, you know, in January and March, I was already uh, not a mess, but normal, you know, anxious and the same thing. But 
going through the MBSR program and doing meditation, I think has been the antidote to uh, try to transform my, myself. And the way I, I fight my laziness is actually telling me, uh, telling me, put your mask on first, you know, like the, the plane and the, and the flight attendant says, put your mask on first. I keep telling that to myself to say, okay, you got to do this. Cut the, cut the laziness. You got to do this. You got a ton of little donkeys that you got to push up the hill. You just got to put your mask on. And that's what I see with meditation. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. All right. Anybody else? Oh, I just real quickly, I was mm -hmm. thinking about, I just did a workshop last night called Find Your Live Building the Language of Freedom. So it's interesting to step in on this and, and see this going on and noting what we're really trying to do in the workshop is get people together and discuss what freedom means to them and, and learn from each other in that way, using different languages, using the language of music, using the language of conversation, using the language of moving the body, a lot of different ways. And um, it seems it, it, there's always a genius in that when people get together and talk or communicate, or most, most importantly, I think, listen. Listening is the big thing. Um, so just, it's interesting to, I, I just got back from a bike ride and wanted to see what was going on. And it was pretty, pretty cool to see this happening in, in this way because we're on the same wavelength for sure. Always. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I just want to kind of uh, echo what Rick just said. You know, one of the greatest freedoms is freedom of thought from thought, mm -hmm. uh, just being and, you know, just letting go of everything, bad habits mm -hmm. um, and uh, just, you know, accepting the present moment is, is uh, so hard. It's been so hard for me to do. You know, I think that has a lot to do with what my procrastination was about, just not wanting to be in the present moment. Something else was more pleasurable. Something on the television, there's a game on, I'm going to go for a bike ride, I'm going to go for a walk. Uh, but freedom from thought, I think, uh, can be very helpful uh, and can allow us just to be. All right, um, so maybe we'll just come together one last time and dedicate the merit of our time together. Well, as we consider this topic, the last time is transforming the mind maybe looking into your own mind and your own self and what you have on the table and maybe contemplating for a few moments, what would you like to transform?
As you think of this transformation, really setting the intention that it helps not only yourself, but it helps others. And somehow, some way, it helps all beings. hearts and minds of all beings everywhere. May they all be transformed into love, kindness, clarity, tranquility. May all beings everywhere have happiness and freedom from suffering. Thank you again so much. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.